Thank you so much to the Fleming family. And thank you to the unseen hand, the hand of the Lord Jesus. Though we live in this life, it seems that we see as through a glass darkly. But boy, do we look forward to that day when we shall see him face to face. As we think back on those times when we weren't quite sure what was going on around us, and we get the full story in light of eternity and see how God guided us through it. Oh, what a day that will be. Thank you. Thank you for that ministry, ministry and song. Gracious God, we bow to you in prayer as we give thanks to you for your unending mercies, for your guiding hand. We walk in this life troubled on every side. We consider ourselves so often as sheep wanting to go astray. We consider the world around us as they perceive you through us. And it sometimes causes us to be horrified. But Lord Jesus, as we consider today ourselves and you in us, the hope of glory, and we consider those who are watching us, looking at our example and looking at our patterns, that I pray they might see Jesus. For you are the only one to be lifted up and to be seen high and exalted. And may you be glorified in each of our lives as we seek by the aid of your Spirit to walk circumspectly in this world, to be just in our dealings, to be faithful in our engagements, and to be exemplary in our deportment. That in our lives, the doctrine of you, your word, your gospel, might be adorned, decorated, shown forth in glory, not in any way to our glory, but to yours. And so, Lord, as we open your word, as we consider our conversation, our manner of life, I pray that your spirit would move among us. I pray that your spirit would teach us. I pray that you would give me clarity of mind, help me to commun communicate clearly. And Lord Jesus, I pray that in this time you would be seen. We submit now to you and praise your holy name. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. I ask you, have you ever heard someone say, look at that Christian with an air of despising? Have you ever heard someone say, I want nothing to do with the God of Christianity because of how it's been in that guy's life or that person? If you're around very often and you begin to talk about your God and the Scriptures, you will hear accusations of how Christians, quote-unquote, have lived thrown in your teeth. If you haven't, I encourage you to take a few hours, just go to door to door, and eventually, sooner or later, you'll get this objection. 
How horrific is this when it comes from the children of professing Christians? Those who would say as gainsayers, answering back, I want nothing to do with God because of that person or this person. Or worse, because of me. All too common, the name of God has been taken in vain by people claiming to be Christians. And it not only has an impact here and now and in just the previous generation, we continue to deal with generations bygone. Think of the great example of the Crusades of time past. Marching forth under the cross of Jesus, supposedly, to this very day, the name of Christ has been blasphemed as the history of the Crusades is considered. Now, it's easy for us to pick on them so long ago. And it's easy for us to look at others and say, oh, yes, how dare they? This morning, let's set the others aside and look at ourselves. In our church covenant, we covenant together to engage, to seek the salvation of our kindred and acquaintances. And it's really intriguing to me that right after this covenant together we have together in our church covenant, as soon as it declares that we seek the salvation of our kindred and acquaintances, it goes right on with the covenant of how we live life. If you have your hymnals, you can turn to the back where you'll find a copy of our church covenant. And in the third paragraph of our covenant, you will find a train of thought of how we as individuals can live our lives and make a difference in the world. It's all based upon what we believe, which is our statement of faith, already covered. But then we begin to engage. Considering what we believe, we engage. And in that third paragraph, we read this in our church covenant. We also engage to maintain family and secret devotions, to religiously educate our children, to seek the salvation of our kindred and acquaintances, to walk circumspectly in the world, to be just in our dealings, faithful in our engagements, and exemplary in our deportment, to avoid all tattling, backbiting, and excessive anger, to abstain from the sale and use of intoxicating drinks as a beverage, and to be zealous in our efforts to advance the kingdom of our Savior. Did you notice how the flow of that began with us as individuals? Secret devotions. Secret devotion with God, extending to our family, extending to the teaching of our children, extending to the evangelization, seeking the salvation of our kindred and acquaintances, and then how it shifts to how we live. How do we live? You see a few phrases there. To walk circumspectly in the world, to be just in our dealings, 
faithful in our engagements, and exemplary in our deportment. Those are a little poetic words that maybe you don't use all the time. What do they all mean? Well, to walk is the way that we live. Our dealings is how we deal with things, not just in commerce, but in our relationships and the things that we do. Our engagements, well, most significantly we think of marriage engagements, don't we? But all engagements, when we engage the people around us, are we faithful? And our deportment, deportment has to do with how we live. These words, walk, dealings, engagements, and deportment, could be summarized in another old word that we have in our King James Bibles called conversation. That is, our manner of life, the way we live. Did you know that the way you live is being watched by other people? That's the reason why we need to be walking circumspectly, living circumspectly. We could flip all of these words to just the way we live. We need to be living circumspectly. We need to be living justly. We need to be living faithful. And we need to be living examples. Every way in which we live, however fancy word we may choose to use, are we living our lives in these ways? Would you take your Bibles and turn with me to Titus? Titus chapter 2. Paul wrote to Titus. He left him there on the island of Crete that he might set things in order that were wanting. One thing particular was to ordain elders in every city. And so with that topic, he goes on and presents qualifications for bishops, elders, pastors. But he does not stop just with bishops, pastors, and elders. He deals with the ungodly on the island of Crete. And then he goes on and he deals with the need for older men to teach younger men, for older women to teach younger men. He gives special instruction not only to old men, old women, young women, young men, but also to servants. And he comes to a climax after addressing all of these groups of people, which, by the way, includes all of us. And he comes to this climax in verse 10. Right in the middle, the reason is given for all of this. And it is this. That they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. What's that mean? That means that in all things, our dealings, our engagements, our deportment, our walk, the way we live, the way we talk, everything about our lives, does it decorate the doctrine of God? Does it decorate the teaching of God? Well, when we are just in our dealings, when we are walking circumspectly, when we are faithful in our engagements, and when we are exemplary in our deportment, our, our lives will adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. The all things here we could put in there, um, our walk, our dealings, our engagements, and our, and our deportment, all things, every part of our life, are we adorning the doctrine of God our Savior? God forbid that as we live our lives, people would look at our lives and the way that we live and our example, our pattern set forth and say, I want nothing to do with that person. 
And if he claims that God, I want nothing to do with that God. The way that it should be is that people should see the way that we live. They should see our patience. They should see our kindness. They should see our faithfulness. They should see our love. They should see that we care about them. They should see that we are just. They should see that we care about what is right. And when they see those things, they should be seeing the doctrine of God being decorated, adorned, made all fancy and beautiful, and say, I want that. I want that. This is perhaps one of the best ways in which we can seek the salvation of our kindred and acquaintances is for them to see in us Jesus. Jesus. When people meet you and when people get to know you, when they get to know me, do they get to know Jesus? I can't claim consistency in that. I want them to see Jesus, but so often I fail. And this is one reason why we have brothers and sisters who come along that we might encourage one another to be zealous of good works, to covenant together that we need to engage one another, to live lives pleasing to God. If we look here in Titus, we'll see a few interesting things. As I said, there's several groups of people all tied together here, and it climaxes with all of them adorning the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. If we look up here, we have in verse 10 where it says that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. If we were to look up a little bit before to verse 7, we'll see some very particular ways in which we can do that. What's it look like? You know, again, we have these fancy words, walk circumspectly in the world, just in our dealings, faithful in our engagements, exemplary in our deportment. That all sounds nice and poetic, but what's it mean? What's it look like? Well, an illustration of some details of that is given here in verse 7. In all things, oh, look, we have all things again. In all things, showing thyself a pattern of good works. Here we can see the example. Do we set forth an example in our deportment? A pattern is an example. An example of good works. Do we do good? In fact, as we continue down here, we find out that as a peculiar people, in verse 14, we're to be zealous on fire with good works. Not only set forth an example of good works, but be on fire. What are some things of good works? Well, Let's take our Bibles and let's turn back to Ezekiel chapter 18. Ezekiel 18 deals with, deals with, I, I love how we use deal all the time. Are we just in our dealings? It deals with our dealings, our example, our good works, what we do. In Ezekiel chapter 18 and verse 5, it declares this. But if a man be just and do that which is lawful and right. 
So here is a go, about, to become, about to come a description of a just man who does that which is lawful and right. It says that he hath not eaten upon the mountains. Now that does not mean going out on a picnic up to the mountains and having a picnic on the mountains. This was going up to the mountains to worship idols, to worship the sun, to worship the stars, and to have a feast, a party that oftentimes was filled with great evil. A just man doesn't go to those kinds of parties or celebrations or worship services of false gods. He's one that neither hath lifted up his eyes to the idols of the house of Israel. That's not doing good works, worshiping other idols. Neither hath he defiled his neighbor's wife. Here, again, relationships. Neither hath he come near to a menstruous woman. Here again we have his relationships relationally with people. Is there a purity and is there a justice in our relationships, how we deal with other people? Is there faithfulness and purity in marriage relationships, both with real physical people and those virtual? The one who is just hath not oppressed any, but... And now here we find some good works listed. But hath restored to the debtor his pledge, keeps his word in finishing up a transaction, holding the collateral, returning it when the deal is complete. Hath spoiled none by violence, doesn't go about causing trouble to take people's stuff. Hath given his bread to the hungry. Here a good work. Do we look for hungry people to feed them? And hath covered the naked with a garment. He that hath not given forth upon usury, do we give or loan without high interest, or do we take advantage of people and exploit them? Neither hath he taken any increase. Oh, even when you are helping the one who needs help, when interest might be due, you choose not to take interest. That hath withdrawn his hand from iniquity. Do we stop from doing that which is wrong? But this one who is just executes true judgment between man and man. Do we, when we are called upon to deal with a matter between individuals, do we do it with true judgment? Do we execute true judgment? The just one is one who's walked in the statutes, the commandments of God, and keeps his judgments to deal truly. He is just. He shall surely live, saith the Lord this is dealing with a lot of different parts of our lives, personal, and things that are also totally disconnected for most of us. But it's easy sometimes to just disconnect and dismiss these things. It's from a different culture, different time, different situation. But are we so disconnected? We think of the hungry. There's other scriptures that speak of the just dealing out to the hungry. Who are the hungry in our society? Are there hungry in our society? I submit to you that if you open your eyes, you'll find them. 
legitimately so, and oftentimes no fault of their own. Albeit, there are those hungry because of laziness and other sins of their own, but there are those not. Do we look for them? Back to Titus, where we might get a little bit more personal. See that in Ezekiel? Some pretty specific things societally, business, commerce, relationally too. But back to Titus chapter 2, these all things showing a pattern of good works. There's some more of those going to come here in just a moment. In doctrine, showing uncorruptness. That means in the teachings that we have, is it corrupted or is it true? Is it grave? Do we consider it to be weighty? Are we dealing with teaching weighty and important things? And are we talking and teaching in sincerity, not ways of manipulation? Is there showing forth a pattern of good works, verse 8, Titus 2.8, that has sound speech? We don't often use the word sound in this way, um, except when we use the phrase, did you make it home safe and sound? Sound means to be healthy, to be whole. Is our speech healthy that cannot be condemned? Do we speak in such a way that is a healthy, it brings health to those who hear, and is not something that can be condemned? Do you see how speech that is unhealthy, speech that is unkind, can result in condemnation, that whole point we're dealing with? Why is this? Well, he gives a reason that he that is of the contrary part, those who are not believers, may be ashamed having no evil thing to say of you. Some of you have to deal with difficult things, and you don't quite know how to deal with it. You don't know quite what to say. Sound speech that cannot be condemned. And what's so sad often, even if we look at the example of Jesus, he spoke with absolute perfection, and yet he was condemned and reviled. Those who do that will be ashamed really, ultimately in the end. It goes on to speak of the servants. In one sense, we are all servants. This is dealing with a group of people who were slaves in the Roman Empire. We don't have anything particularly tied exactly to it in our modern society, but it's very close to employment, modern-day employment in America. And it would be similar in this, for servants to be obedient unto their masters. This is a good work, and to please them well in all things, not answering again. No talking back. Respect. Not prolorning. Don't be stealing. Siphoning off the sandpapers or the screws or the whatever it is in your place of business. But showing good fidelity, that which is accurate and true, showing forth that. And all of this is why that we may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. Do we walk circumspectly? Well, what's that word mean? I doubt unless we're quoting a verse, many of us use that in our normal speech. I'm not sure. I think we maybe should start to use it more in our normal speech. Circumspectly. Well, in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 15 is the most famous use of this word. We're there, we get this command. See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but wise. This text goes on to say that we need to be redeeming the time, buying back the time, for the days are evil. We need to be real consistent with our time. 
It continues on to deal with some other things, very particular of how we can walk circumspectly in this world. And I'll give you the key of what it all there, all of them are tied into, into being filled with the Spirit. Being filled with the Spirit of God. That's one of the key truths in all of this. If we're going to walk circumspectly, if we're going to be just in our dealings, if we are going to be faithful in our engagements and exemplary in our deportment, in all of our ways of life, if any of this is going to be true, we're going to have to be filled with the Spirit and let his, Him live His life through us. Walking circumspectly, it says, not as fools, but wise. This is what it says over in James chapter 3. James chapter 3 and verse 13 asks this question. Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? So we are to walk circumspectly, not as fools, but wise. So who is a wise man? Who is filled with knowledge among us? Well, in James chapter 3 verse 13... He speaks to that wise one. And it's interesting because there's a lot of people who go forth declaring their own goodness. But a faithful man who can find. There's a lot who might go forth declaring themselves to be wise and endued with knowledge. But what do they need to be doing? How can they be identified? James goes on to say, let him, the one who is a wise man, show, give an example, be an example, show out of a good conversation, way of life, his deportment, his dealings, his engagements, his speech, his good conversation, his works with meekness of wisdom. Meekness of wisdom. Meekness is to have a strength and have a control in spite of amazing, incredible, difficult pressure. We have to deal with things oftentimes that are hard and heavy. The wise one will deal with those with meekness. Meekness, under control and having a strength. And that strength only comes from God. will respond with wisdom. And that wisdom as we also learn from James, has to come from above because there is also a wisdom that is earthly, sensual, and devilish. We need, rather, a wisdom that is from above. We need a wisdom from God. And so, in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15, it says, see then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but wise. Circumspectly, I'm still struggling with that word. How about you? What's that mean? What's that mean? Well, let's think of it in drawing a circle. You know what a circle is, right? A circle is a circle. So obvious, we all know, right? Right? Well, what are some definitions of a, of a circle? We have some definitions of it, right? There's, there's kind of different parts to a circle. We, we have the diameter, right? We have the radius, and we have the circumference. Now, if the radius of that circle changes as you're drawing the circumference, will it still be a circle? 
Yes or no? Nope. What would it look like? So if the, the radius is the distance from the center of the circle to the edge of the circle. And it's the same all the way around. And that's how you get a perfect circle, is when the radius is exactly the same from the dead center all the way around. But what if that radius changes? Imagine a compass and you're trying to draw a circle and the compass goes like this and like this. I have a cheap one that used to do that. It drove me wild. And it changes and moves. Is, do you really have a circle anymore? No. The circle is, well, what would it look like? It would look like, that's not a circle. I don't know what it is. It doesn't look right. It's not a circle. Walking circumspectly is having a standard for the radius. There's a standard for the radius, and it's constant, and it stays. And that standard is the authority of God's word in our lives. As we're walking through this life, we are always tempted to be going our own way, our astray, that's really what it is. Our own way is astray, and it makes a really weird-looking circle. People scratch their heads when they look at it, right? Try drawing a circle without a compass. It won't be very perfect. It won't be there. How is our lives following that circle? How do we follow it? It's by being connected tied to, not in a sense of bondage, for in Christ there is liberty, but being tied to Christ, his rule of life, him leading us in all things. Now, some people get scared by this because they think, oh, well, that's bondage. That's some kind of legalism. No, no, no. Walking circumspectly ultimately is being tied. Your radius is tied to the authority of God and his spirit. That's your radius. And when you disconnect from that radius or you wander from his word or from the spirit, your circumference is not going to look like a circle. It's going to look really weird. And so as you're walking the circle, are you walking it tied to the spirit of God, tied to his word? Otherwise, we'll wander all about. Another way that it's described of this kind of living and the, the opposite of this kind of living is being tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine, moving this direction and that direction and always, oh, this fad comes along and chasing down that regardless of its moral, uh, moral significance and being moved about. Another description of the opposite of this is being unstable as water unstable as water. We can't be that. We need to be walking circumspectly, having a standard, having an absolute. Be careful, because you can't invent your own radius. You can't invent your own radius. That's what sheep going astray do. You have to be tied to the Spirit of God and the authority of his word. It will result in wisdom.
It's going to guide you when you're tempted to love the world, when you're tempted by the lust of the flesh and the pride of life. Those things can't be your radius. See, if you make your radius the lust of your eyes, whatever your eyes desire, your circumference isn't going to look very cool if, if your radius is your pride of life. What things make you feel important or your status or what you perceive will make you a good person or a famous person. The lust of your eyes, those things that you see and desire is going to wander you away. If that's your radius, you're in trouble. Your radius has to be firm. It has to be solid in the Spirit of God, tied to the Word of God. And so as we are seeking to win the lost, see the salvation of our kindred and acquaintances, we have to recognize that they see us and they're watching our walk. And if they see us tied to the center of the circle by our own whims, will they want that? What's different about that than what they have? No, we need to be tied to the authority of the Word of God led by the Spirit of God. Are we just and righteous in all of our dealings? We looked at this one extensively this morning in Bible Hour. Are our dealings righteous and just, true, and faithful? God loves those that deal truly. Are we faithful in our engagements? You see, there's lots of things that we have to engage with. There's commitments that we make in life. Commitments to people, to family members, to employers, to coworkers. The list goes on. All of our relationships are engagements. Are we faithful in those engagements? That means do we keep our word? Are we consistent? Are we dependable? Are we reliable? As I said a moment ago, most men will proclaim everyone his own goodness, but a faithful man who can find. You know why the proverb says that? Because they're hard to find. That's the reason why Christians need to be faithful. Because then you will see them, and people will notice, and they'll say, aha, something's different about that man because he's faithful. And not just boasting of faithfulness, he actually is faithful. You keep your word. The promises you make to your kids. I promised some kids this morning I'm going to play Uno. Somebody came up to me afterwards and said, will you be just if you legitimately forget? Well, um, no. Because I need to be faithful in my engagements. And I have an engagement there, a commitment. And you might think, what's the big deal about an Uno game? That's partly the point. He that is faithful in little will be faithful in much. And so often we flip that around. And we, we say, well, this is really important, so I'm going to neglect all those little things so that I can do the important. Every man will proclaim his own goodness is what that's called. And it's not called faithfulness because it begins with being faithful in the little. And if you're really faithful in the little, you will also be faithful in the much. Are we actually keeping our word, keeping our commitments, beginning first with those who live in our own homes with our children? Are we true and faithful 
in all things. What kind of pattern, example, are we setting forth? We've seen here in Titus chapter 2 in verse 7 that in all things we're to show a pattern of good works. We turn with me over to Philippians chapter 1 where we have yet another commandment connected to our example. Again, we're going to find that word conversation. It's not talking about the conversations we have of speech only. It's talking about the conversations we have of speech and life. Remember that our talk, our walk talks louder than our talk talks. This is talking about the walk and the talk conversation. Philippians 1.27, only let your conversation, may I say your deportment, only let your conversation, your deportment, be as it becometh, as is expected, as is normal, the gospel of Christ. Paul writes to the Philippians saying that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that ye stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. We've talked about a few different things here today. Our walk, is it circumspect? Are our dealings just? Are we faithful in our engagements? And you know how it all ties together is? What is the example you leave? When someone gets saved, would, would it cause you a bit of trepidation? If someone were to say, see here, you have that Christian as an example. Follow him. I don't know about you, but that kind of troubles me. I certainly wouldn't want to say, follow me, I'm a great example. <sighs> but why don't we live such a way? It's one thing to say it. But do we live truly setting an example for our children to follow, for new Christians to see and to follow. When people hear of how we live and what our conversation, our deportment is like, do, do they hear a good report? Here in Philippians, he says, standing fast in one spirit. As a church together, do we stand fast in one spirit? Is that what people hear of our affairs? with one mind. And do you see the way that Philippians 1.27 ends? Striving together for the faith of the gospel. I find it intriguing, that word striving. Because you know the scriptures also say that the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle, apt to teach, patient, showing forth kindness and purity. Do you see what this striving is for? It's not striving for our own ways or our own pride of life or lust of eyes. It's a one mind, a one spirit that is standing fast 
and striving together for the faith of the gospel. You see, the Philippians had a conversation, had a deportment, had a way of life that was becoming, was attractive, was adorning the gospel of Christ. And people were getting saved because they had an example. They were adorning. They were living as it becomes the gospel of Christ. So much so that Paul knew that whether he came and saw it for himself or he never saw them and heard it from afar, he would hear of this faithfulness and hear of their affairs and know that they stood fast in one spirit and with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. So brothers and sisters, let us today covenant together to engage by the aid of the Holy Spirit to walk circumspectly in the world, to be just in our dealings, faithful in our engagements, and exemplary in our deportment. In all ways of our life, all those fancy words, are we just and true? Are we faithful, dependable, and reliable? And are we an example that is worthy to be followed? If the Holy Spirit this morning has pricked you of something where this is not true in your life, will you confess it and forsake it and receive the forgiveness of God? Talk to Him about it. Is there a dealing that you're convicted wasn't done right? Will you go back and make it right as best you can? Make it just? Are there engagements, commitments that you are not faithful in, that you know you need to be more consistent and true on? Will you purpose today to do just that? Will you identify, just right now, identify the little things you need to be faithful in? and purpose by the aid of the Holy Spirit to be faithful in the little and the big. Sometimes people reverse that. Earlier I said people focus on the big to the neglect of the little, and then other times people know that there's the big stuff and they're all prancing around about the little, but they neglect the big stuff. It's both ways. It's the little and big. Are there little and big in your life engagements that you need to show faithfulness, keep your word, follow through, be dependable on. How about your example? Are those closest to you seeing an example that is not faithful, that is not just, that is not circumspect? Confess it. Confess it. Don't be too proud to humble yourself and confess where you have set a poor example. Own it. So often the adversary, the devil, takes this little idea of being an example and he twists it. You know, he twists it. He says to you, you can't confess that. You can't justly deal with that. Think of how you would make Christians look 
if they knew you did that. That's the lie of the father devil. Don't believe it a moment. Freedom comes in truth, and the true example is when that wrong has been done, it is owned and dealt with justly. That's the example that can be set forth to the world, set forth to your kindred and acquaintances. All of us, when we see this, we humbly walk exemplary, and that means confessing our failures receiving the forgiveness and receiving the due consequences and responsibility for our actions. This is living justly. This is living circumspectly in this world. Would you take a moment, just in the quietness of this time, and would you reflect and would you meditate? Would you pray with me the prayer of the old prophet. Search me, O God, and know me, and see if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. You see what that is, is us examining ourselves or really asking God to reveal to us what he sees, and then dealing with it his way the way that is of everlasting, leading in his way. Would you take a moment to quietly meditate and reflect? Pray to your God. your hymnals and turn with me to the back where we have our church covenant. We have talked about what it means here in this third paragraph, but I think it wise for us, if you find your hymnal, turn to the covenant, stand together, and let us read together this third paragraph, for it actually continues on in more that we'll cover next time. We say it with me in unison, the third paragraph we also engage to maintain family and secret devotions, to religiously educate our children, to seek the salvation of our kindred and acquaintances, to walk circumspectly in the world, to be just in our dealings, faithful in our engagements, 
and exemplary in our deportment, to avoid all tattling, backbiting, and excessive anger, to abstain from the sale and use of intoxicating drinks as a beverage, and to be zealous in our efforts to advance the kingdom of our Savior. I pray that we might go forth together, engaged in this, this week, for the glory of God, for the glory of God. If Lincoln would come, let's sing together a hymn and let us of commitment to our God.